Lord, thank you so much for this great reminder of what you have done for us. You've made us white as snow. You've cleared us from all condemnation. There's now no condemnation for us. You're never angry with us. You're never mad at us again because you've taken all of your wrath upon our Savior, our King, our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, show us again, teach us, continue to reveal to us what it is to see the world as you see it, to see ourselves as you now see us. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're here because of all that you've done for us, and we express our gratitude to you along with words of this great hymn. We proclaim it. We desire it to be true. Let our lips, our lives sing the song of the gospel and all that you've done for us. Lord, speak to us now. I pray that you'd help me to get out of the way and allow your word to be heard and not only heard but applied into every life, into my life, as we seek to be all that you've called us to be. We're now listening. Spirit, speak. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you a question to start. When did you come to faith in Christ? And who was it that led you to the Lord? Now, I'm not going to presume, and I don't mean to presume upon everyone here, that all of us have come to faith in Christ. In the crowd this size, there are those of us who are here, you're, you're still seeking, you're wondering more. You may have questions around that. I, I think I did, I'm not sure I did. Or even in my question, when was it? Some of you, you might say, well, I'm not sure I can name a moment in time. I think for some of us, it's because uh, the gospel and its work in our lives, it's a spiritual thing. Some of us, we don't know exactly when it was, and some of us have made it into a formula to say, well, it was when I prayed that prayer. That was my ticket to heaven. And it may have been the prayer that, that was the prayer of repentance, a prayer to receive Christ. But there's something that happens in the heart. I've been on mission trips where we've seen literally hundreds of people come to faith in Christ, and we would record decisions. I've been on teams where we'd go out into a village or community and all day long sharing the gospel. We'd come back and we'd kind of add up because we've walked through and this person came to Christ and this one. And, and I remember uh, challenging our group. So, wow, how many came to faith in Christ this, this week? And we had all these recorded decisions, much like you do at a crusade or something, or maybe at a vacation Bible school. But I always remind the group, I'd say, you know, wow, we had 378. Or how many came to Christ? We'd name a number. And I'd always be, be quick to say, you know what? That's how many indicated they did, but really the Lord knows. But I'm, I'm challenging you to think back. Because whether it was a moment in time, and I believe it was a moment in time, whether you can name it or not, there was a moment when you said yes to Him. By faith, you believed. At that point, Christ came into your heart, changed the trajectory of your life, and all of life would be different from that point on. Maybe it was a season, maybe it was a moment. For me, I was nine years old. I grew up in the church like some of you, not all of us, and I had godly parents who pointed me 
uh, to the Lord from the time I was a little kid. And so just as we have now, lots of little ones, children, preschoolers, and such in our groups right now or even in our worship services, I was one of those, had people pouring into my life. And I want to say to those of you who are serving our preschoolers, our children, our youth, all of us who serve together, thank you. Thank you. Because where I'm going to land, start with the question, when did you come to faith in Christ? And then secondly, who, who led you to Christ? Because finally, here's what I want you to think about. Whom are you discipling? I want you to think, as you have, who was that person? A key person for me, again, it was my, my dad. I'd been asking questions to my mom and dad. They'd been answering questions, what it means to follow Jesus. And then I ended up at my grandfather's house. I still remember what it looked like. I remember what it smelled like. I remember the verses that they looked at with me. They knew it was time. I was ready. And again, I may have already received Christ. Just I'd already said yes to him as a kid. But we solidified the decision. And the moment, my grandfather's house, some of you know, he was a pastor, Dr. C.C. C. Warren. He was a longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church in Charlotte. He preached in this spot where I'm standing right now, before I was ever born. He was good friends with Dr. Howard along the way, longtime pastor of our church. He was here on the day that this sanctuary was dedicated to the Lord in 1957. I say all that because I want you to think on that moment, that season. I want you to think on that person, those people who led you to Christ, and I want to challenge you. You can be that person in another person's life. You can be the one that they recall off into eternity. You were the one who led them to faith in Christ. You were the one who discipled them. You were the one who believed in them. You were the one prompted by the Spirit to enter into their lives, into relationship, and bring the gospel to them. Because, friends, when you receive the gospel, what Christ has done for you, when you realize that He died on the cross for you, that you no longer have to die. You don't have to take on the punishment for your sin. Your whole life changes. And when you say yes to Him, His Spirit comes into your life, you see the world differently. Recently, I came upon a, a, a series of, of videos. You can go and see them online, uh, on YouTube. They, they just kind of show up when you search this. There's, there's a new technology that started about two years ago for people who are colorblind. Now, in a crowd this size, I could ask some of you are, are colorblind. You can't see certain colors. You can't distinguish from one color to the next. But most of us who are colorblind don't realize how severe it actually is. And there's a technology now where you can put on, a, put on, they look like sunglasses. They look like normal glasses. And they, bam, help people who are colorblind see color right away in the moment. It's worth looking at because these people are blown away. There's no other way to describe it other than awe and wonder. No, it's this, worship, whether they know it or not. And it's fun to see. People are going nuts. Guys are, one guy's running around looking at trees. He can't believe it. He can't, he's just looking. He's, and then they do this. They, they do the compare and contrast. And it's, oh my gosh! They had no idea. And he says, this, that's purple. That's purple. I always thought that was blue. 
You see, when you come to faith in Christ, it's much like putting on, can I say it, grace-tinted glasses. Love-colored glasses. You now see the world differently. You see yourself, your soul, your person as now a new creation in the Lord. And you see others as He sees them. It's like C.S. Lewis said, the great quote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. We see the world differently. A disciple of Jesus sees other people differently. We never give up on anyone. And we see the potential in every person. Even those who are far from God. I, I would argue, in fact, mostly in those who are far from the Lord. That's the way Jesus has reached out to us. This past week, I asked a team of, of ministers, just real quick, the same question. How'd you come to Christ? Tell us where it was. You know, you do that long enough in a group. It's worth doing, by the way, over lunch or in a gathering. Because before that's over, you just want to weep together and joy and you want to burst out in a doxology or something. In the early service in the chapel, I went off script and asked some folks in the room, just right where you are, stand, tell us how you came to faith in Christ. We could have been there all day, you know. I could ask each of you could have come up here and share your story. It would be rather daunting for some of us, but we could be here, I suppose, for a couple of days. I got a hunch revival just might break out. When we get back to the main thing, Back to what matters the most, and that's what I want to do today, much like uh, a Coach Lombardi back in the 60s gathered his Green Bay Packers together, and he said, men, this is a football. These guys who had just almost won the championship the year before. And he got them back to what matters most. That's what I want to do today. In fact, I want you to go ahead and turn as we think about this multiply, multiplying, the power of multiplication. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. Would you do that? Turn in your Bible to Matthew 28. I want everybody in the room now to grab a Bible, to look with me, to stay focused. Yes, I'll offer scriptures on, on the screen, but I hope you always bring your Bible. Take notes uh, as I do. You can do it in the margins of your Bible. Bring a journal. But as we wrap up this series of messages that we've called the power of, of one, We've talked about what it is to be a follower of Jesus here in our church. So if you're a guest, you know, we've talked about what it is to worship weekly. I've said that the corporate gathering of worship is the most important dis uh, discipline of a disciple's life. Gathering together every week to worship together. We've said here at our church, and it's true at other churches, but really unique here. We have two time slots. There's a worship moment, and then there's a, a Bible study moment. And if you're not in a Bible study, I would argue you're not experiencing congregational life in our church as it's meant to be, to connect with one another, to connect with God's Word, applying it to your group and your life specifically. It's what you're doing now. And then to serve together, to be on mission, to do life together. That's what our connect groups are about. Last week we talked about what it is to serve others and Today, I want to talk about multiplying our lives as disciples. We've been called to make disciples. And so in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus draws us back 
to the main thing. Now some of you, like me, you've been in church long enough, you knew exactly where I was heading. You know what this is. It's the Great Commission. Think about it, the co-mission, the with mission, the mission with Jesus. That's what the church is all about. So let's read it together. You can see it on the screen, in fact. Let's do that. Let's read it together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This past week, I talked to a friend of mine in Houston. I've talked to several pastors who were there. And there are churches, you know, perhaps, who have been wiped out completely. Now, let me rephrase that. The buildings of the churches have been wiped out. We have uh, family and folks in Rockport have a little house there. That area was the eye of the hurricane. You may know that, Aransas, Rockport. There are churches that are gone. They can't meet there. I couldn't help but think, what if that were to happen to us? That would be such a tragedy, wouldn't it? And yet their buildings, their places of worship are as, as important to them as ours is to us. What if our sanctuary was wiped off the face of the mat this, this week? Would we be able to accomplish what the Lord's called us to do? Now, I knew your quick answer, right, would be, well, of course, of course. There are churches that are currently meeting under trees in Africa. I've seen them. I've been there. There are churches that are hiding out in uh, basements and can't meet together except to do so privately across the world, even today. Could we do what we do without all that we have? If so, it means that, sure enough, we could get back to the core, the very thing that Christ has called us to. Now, there's a reason we have buildings. There's a reason we gather here. There's a reason. But I want to ask you this question, and and I, I realize I probably think about this a lot more than you do, but many of you have read and heard and you've seen, there's a sense, this demise of the church in the global West. I read a lot about it. You can't believe everything you read, but it's true. Every major denomination is in decline in America. There are churches that are closing their doors every week. We're in a pivotal moment in the church in the West. And I think all of us need to think today, this is what I want to do, let's get back to what matters the most. What are we to focus on? How can we turn the tide? How can we see renewal, revival, restoration? It's going to start with each of us. It's going to start with me. It's going to start with His church. It's going to start with God's people. So what do we do? Does it mean we need, we need better facilities? Well... Look how the Lord's blessed us. We need better music. Oh, my. I need better preaching. We need better social media. We need better promotion. If people only knew. All these things, as supplemental and wonderful as they are, 
they all fall short. If Jesus could speak to us, and he does, through his word today, I think he'd say, focus on these verses. Let's get back to what matters the most. And I want to talk about this from a general perspective as a church family corporately, but then we're going to land it. As always, I want to challenge you individually and personally. I told you we're going to land on the question, whom are you discipling? So what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, we know here that the Lord has told us to make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, real quick, I go to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. You can see it there. Jesus said, if anyone's to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now think about this. This is prior to the cross. but They knew what a cross was. They have a cross. Take up your, your instrument of, of death and sacrifice. He's saying, die to yourself and now come. He's speaking to his disciples primarily, and his words come to us today, of course. He's saying, be a disciple. Now, a disciple is literally an apprentice. It's a follower. You could say it's a copycat. A rabbi had his, what's called, what was called a Talmudine, still called. A Talmud is the Hebrew disciple. And a rabbi would have a Talmudine, a group who would follow him, emulate him, do everything he'd do. They'd, they'd, he'd, they'd follow in the dust of their rabbi. They'd just follow him step for step. And this is what the disciples did. Jesus says, I'm calling forth disciples, and they're going to live like me. But again, not that Jesus is simply a good example. He is our substitute. It all begins when we receive his grace. And then he says to us, I want you now to go and make disciples. I'm going to leave physically, but watch this. I'm with you to the end of the age. Notice he doesn't say for the rest of your life or even always to the end of the age till the plan is finished, until this intentional work is completed, till the work is done. I'm with you. He's always with us, always guiding us. So let's break this down. And I got a hunch that some of you, like me, you've, you've, Heard a sermon or two on this passage, but let's, let's listen to it anew. We make disciples. He gives us this imperative command, by the way. It's the singular command in this text. And then it's qualified by three participial phrases. You know, in English, those are ING words. But it's essentially saying, how do we make disciples? He qualifies it, clarifies it in three Words. So we make disciples by first going, right? As you go, some have noted it could be translated that way, but it's more, it's more intentional than that. It's, in, it's tied to the imperative command. You go. It means that you're being intentional. You're living the missional life. And as you do, you're raising up others to come alongside you. I want to talk about how that happens. Secondly, baptizing. Now, this is the whole scope of sharing the gospel. This is not just, right, baptizing someone, and now we did that. It's when someone comes to faith in Christ, and then they come before the church family, as we've done recently, and, and as we've done even this morning, when someone says, I have trusted Christ with my life. Now I die to myself. You see that nine, Luke 9, 23 kind of image. As Christ himself died, I join him. I die. I'm raised up. I'm forgiven completely. And now I seek to follow him with my life. Freshly redeemed people proclaiming 
the fact that they've come to Christ is the highest moment in the life of the church. It's why we just recently celebrated together many who've come to faith in Christ with a great celebration outside in front of our church. Going, baptizing, what's the next one? Did you grasp it there? Teaching. Discipleship involves truth applied. And to apply truth, you need to know truth. Teach them the truth of the scriptures primarily. But I want to say this. A disciple basically is not simply one who has a download of content and now has a lot of knowledge of the Bible. The Pharisees had a lot of knowledge. There's a point at which Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And then he says, but these are the scriptures that point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me. That's a powerful statement. It's possible for us to have content in our minds and yet not application in our hearts. So a disciple has basically three abilities, if you will, or focuses on three key questions. You see, a disciple knows how to hear from God. That's the primary function of a disciple. Not simply to hear a message or, wow, the pastor seems to have really studied this passage. He seems to know a lot about it. Now I know more about it. No, 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 listen. It's important, and we do so in, the, in, in community. But you, as a disciple, each of us hear from him personally. Are you listening? The Spirit of God is in you. You say, well, how do I hear from him? Through his word. See, a disciple asks three questions. We brought it down to what we call the three irreducible questions. What is God saying to me? In his word. Now you have to be in his word. And daily he speaks to us. What is he saying to me? Secondly, how will I obey? When we obey, the power of God transforms our lives. And not until then. Whom will I tell? We're always seeking to share with others what God is teaching us. Always looking to encourage Point people to him. This is what it means to be a disciple. I want to ask you, do you live this way? Are you living? And, 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 and I want you to hear this. this. It's not so much, well, here's the formula. Here's three questions. But it does help for us to understand. I've got to be walking with Jesus every day. If you are, as you go, people will be drawn to you. And you'll be ready and wanting to share with others. This is what it is. To make disciples, Jesus calls us back to this primary role. We can get focused on so many things. We can lose our focus and follow after a million things. But as we think about this collectively as a church and close out this series of messages, we need to be a church that makes disciples. Every one of us. Together. But I think it's possible for us to say, well, this is really good. I'm, I'm grateful we have a pastor who gets us back to the main thing. And we, together, are making disciples. Now, I want to bring this to a personal level. You are called to make disciples. Whom are you discipling? This takes place in a lot of forms. But I want to, I want to show you this way. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, Paul gives us this verse. You can see it there. And what... You have heard from me, he says, my precious Timothy, son in the faith. Man, I'm discipling personally, he says. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
entrust to faithful men, that word there could be used men and women, who will be able to teach others also. It's simple. Disciple making is life on life. It's one person teaching another person how to follow Jesus every day. This is what Paul is doing. All of us need a Timothy in our lives like him. I love what he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1 because it really breaks it down simply for me. Be imitators of Christ, or of me, as I am of Christ. So yes, be an imitator of Christ as you see him in my life. Follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. And it takes time. It means you come alongside another person. Whom are you discipling? It might be someone you already know. It probably is. Someone who's a friend. And you could enter into more conversations about Jesus and help them trust him more and follow him. Some of you have lost friends who don't know the Lord. The Bible describes those of you who are lost or without Jesus as lost. You haven't found your way. You don't know the way that's found in him. And the Bible tells us we can come alongside others. And yes, disciple, if you will, unbelievers to belief. Always an intriguing question for me. When did the disciples become believers? You ever thought about that? Even here it says in verse 17, prior to this, it says they, they saw him and they worshipped him and some doubted. He's already, he died on the cross and now he's alive in front of them. And some doubted. I guess two things there. Is it possible for a believer to doubt? Sure it is. But when did the disciples become believers? They couldn't have believed in the cross until after it happened. My point is this. Often we can be leading those who don't yet know Christ. Keep pointing them to him, our friends, people we know, people in our family. You're discipling them to faith. And then we disciple them to follow Jesus every day. So let's close with this simple challenge. How can I make disciples? And my great hope today was just to be real simple, kind of discipleship made easy for all of us. And I'm trusting the Lord is speaking in your heart. You know, I'm going to pursue Jesus with all I've got. I'm going to imitate him. I'm going to follow him. And as you live your life alongside me, as I'm intentional to spend time with you, you're going to watch and see him in me, and you're going to become more like him yourself. I'm going to draw you to him. Be an imitator of Christ as I am for you. But here it is. How can I make disciples first? Well, we've said it. Follow Jesus every day. Are you doing that as a disciple? If you're not pursuing him in your personal life every day, seeking to hear from him, obey him, and seek to tell others about what he's teaching you, encouraging words in their lives, you're not going to draw others to him. If you're not following him, loving him daily, if you are, you're going to have a life that looks a lot like Jesus. That's a magnet for people in your life. They'll come alongside you and wonder what it is. And even if they don't ask, they'll say, I want to be more like you. I need to spend more time with you. Watch for people like that who are drawn to you. The Lord will bring those by his spirit. He'll bring those people into your life. To live like Jesus means you practice the patterns and practices of his life. Jesus would pull away and come alone before the Father Every day he'd spend time reminding him of who he is as a son of God. We do the same. So as we go, we follow Jesus every day. Secondly, invite others along the journey with you. Be intentional. Whom are you discipling? 
Now, some of you who are parents, well, I, I, I could tell you there's a, there's a discipleship group in your home. You have it. There are others outside of that group that you want to point and lead, lead to Jesus. And I always say this to grandparents. Don't underestimate the power of your life to disciple your grandchildren. Of course, this takes time. And sometimes that can be frustrating for us. We don't get enough time with the people we love. But you know what? God's bringing people into your life, and they're there. And I'm trusting His Spirit is prompting you to say, there's a person. They seem to be drawn to me. That's the Spirit leading them to you. The Spirit wants you to point them to Jesus. Next, invest time in those the Spirit brings. It's a spiritual process. And it says, uh, you know, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, there's going to be faithful men and women who are going to come alongside. You invest in them because I've prompted them to come into your life. They've been drawn to you. Now disciple them, love them, and love them to Jesus. Next, it's that, love and lead them to the Savior. Love and lead them to Jesus. The driving motivator, the change agent for all of us is love. So we love others as Christ has loved us. That's what points them to the Savior. See, discipleship is not that hard. Love God, love others, the great commandment, the great commission. Love Jesus every day and love people to him. Lead them to him. And then I'd say this, close with this uh, out of this short list, help them discover their gifts and serve. I want to ask you, how many of you are involved in a, a ministry here at the church? I mean, on a regular basis. You might be in the prayer ministry. You may have been holding babies earlier today. In the last uh, time slot, maybe you teach formally uh, in a class just right prior to this. Maybe you uh, greet your door opener and uh, maybe you're serving in some way, in some specific ministry. How many of you are serving in the church right now? Just raise your hand in a specific ministry. I want to I just challenge all of us twofold. Every member of our church, again, guests just kind of listening in, every member, uh, the question we've asked, last week we asked it, what's your, what's your ministry? You should be able to answer that question quickly. What's your ministry? And then for those of us who are real passionate, those of you who are serving, I hear this often. You know, uh, folks want the pastor to get involved and come leverage some influence. You know, pastor, I love preschoolers, and we need more people to serve and rock these precious babies. Who could not love these kids? Right? And we wonder, why are there not hundreds of people? And why is it that periodically we have to ask people to serve these precious babies? So I hear that. I get that. Some of you are gifted. You're called out to do that. Some of you are not rocking babies right now, and the Lord's prompting you to do so. Some of you, you want to teach students. Now, some of you say, not me. Uh, but others of you, you, you love being with young people. And you wonder why anyone in the church would want to do that. They bring such energy and vibrancy. They're so fun to be around. They challenge our faith as adults. Or others of you are passionate about Guatemala or a certain ministry. Or you're passionate about the persecuted church or, or trafficking in the world where we still see so much abuse. We have people who are passionate about these things. And we wonder, why isn't everyone as passionate as I am? Here's what I'd say to you, if you feel that way. A practical piece of this message before we close. Whom are you discipling? Who are you raising up beside you? 
It may be someone who's in the ministry already, but watch and look. Because here's how this works, just a real practical moment. We're all raising up people to serve alongside us. And it looks something like this. I want you to look at the screen here. Just a simple graphic, a little illustration. Okay, so first, you can see here on the square. Let's go there. Uh, there it is. There it was. That was it. Did you see that animation? <laughs> it looks like this. It looks like this. It's I do... <laughs> there was supposed to be an animation there. Okay. I do, you watch. Now, now let's get back focused. Think about the ministry that you're involved in, okay? I do, you watch. Think about someone that you can lead, you can guide, you can empower, coach, build up. I do, you watch. Then, I do, you help. Then, you do, I help. And then thirdly, you do, I watch and encourage and bless you as you serve. Every one of us can do that. In our area of passion, in our area of focus, we can all do that in our ministries. Friends, what we need is a volunteer revolution in our church, a leadership pipeline, as it were, in every area of church, raising up people across the life of our church. We saw it in Ephesians 4, verses 11 13, as we've walked through that passage this, this month. He gave some of us to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Some of us to equip the saints. But all of us are involved in the work of ministry. Every one of us. And it's for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's to say we're all a body and we're growing to be mature in Him. To the mature measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the key question again, whom are you discipling? Friends, let's, let's, put, on, let's put on our colorblind glasses. Let's see ourselves for who we are in Christ. Totally forgiven, completely loved by him. Put on your glasses. Let's, let's put on the, the glasses of the gospel, the grace-colored glasses that allow us to see in living color those who are around us let's love one another enough to raise each other up empower one another let the spirit of god touch your life touch your heart so that you can be a disciple maker as you've been called to be i'll close with this thought jesus has told us what we're to do in the end it's not going to be better buildings and better singing and better music and better programming because he's taught us what we're to do. It's simply us obeying. If we were to equip a church, a single church to add a thousand souls to the role of heaven every year, that's a pretty vibrant church. Well, let's be, let's be even, let's think bigger than that. Let's take 10,000 churches to accomplish this supernatural goal of a thousand people every year. It would take those churches 600 years to reach the world. Here's Jesus' plan. If we had one person, you and me, one person discipling one person, let's start with me, one person through a year, 
And then I take on another and send them off to disciple one person for another year. Now, it starts out slow. At the end of the second year, we have four. Third year, there are eight of us following Jesus. Fourth year, we got 16. Friends, listen, by year 33, 8.5 billion people. Jesus has given us the strategy. Whom are you discipling? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the reminder today through the singing and through our worship of the brilliance of the gospel. Life in full living color. We thank you for how you've spoken into our hearts through your word. There's no greater purpose or joy than to lead another to Christ, our Savior, and to see people flourish in their gifts. Help us, Lord, to be disciples who make disciples. May your church be a church that makes disciples to the glory of God. And we thank you that you're with us through it all as we love you in response to all that you have done for us. So, Lord, we give you our lives wherever you lead us. We will go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to close our time with a song, and it's that song that you may know. Let it be the cry of your heart. Before we head out today, we're going to...